Hello and welcome to the New Model Advisor podcast. I'm Laura Perkis. I'm a reporter at New Model Advisor and I'm joined today by Tom Selby, who is a fantastic analyst at AJ Bell and once upon a time was a financial journalist. And I'm going to get his hot take on some of the policies announced in this afternoon's budget. Hey, Tom, how are you doing? Hello, Laura. Um, I'll struggle to live up to that introduction. That's very kind of you. Yeah, yeah. All, all fine. Thank you. Very, I thought quite, a, quite an interesting budget today. Um, as always, large chunks of it had been pre-announced to various parts of the... Uh, quite a lot of interesting things, I think, that will affect advisors and, and individual investors in, in a few different ways. Yeah, yeah, very, very fun. I'm really glad. I'm not sure fun is the words that I would, uh, I would use. I, 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 was, on a, I was on a podcast earlier um, where so, someone said that uh, fiscal drag was going to be one of the one of the key words or one of the one, one of the popular <laughs> words over the next twelve months. And I thought, crikey, what a what a sad world we live in if fiscal drag <laughs> is the king that people are going to be talking about over a pint of lager when we're all able to do that eventually. But we'll see. So yeah, sorry. This is the second podcast you've recorded this afternoon. <laughs> was your last one about the budget as well? It was about the budget as well. Yeah, there are. I think. I think. Is <laughs> a sign that the podcast market is being saturated. But who knows? <laughs> I, th- I think. I think you can't have too many podcasts. I listen to many, many different podcasts. So. I agree. Well, thanks so much for talking to me and doing this uh, twice in one day. So um, I saw on Twitter, because I spend too much time on Twitter, that someone said they wanted Mm. a bit more in-depth analysis on the budget rather than just the top line articles we all smash out in five minutes. So I thought Mm. this would be a good way to do that. Um, So I assume most people listening are caught up. But um, to recap, some of the big policies announced included uh, freezing the lifetime allowance, increasing the stamp duty holiday, freezing the income tax threshold until 2026, um, hiking corporation tax, extending the furlough, uh, reintroducing 95% mortgages. I think that just about scratches the surface. Uh, So, Tom, to start with, what was your initial take on the budget this year then? Um, I mean, I think it's one of those things at the moment where over the past 12 months we've been bombarded with these huge numbers in relation to uh, the furlough scheme and the government deficit, government borrowing, government debt and Mm -hmm. uh, all the rest of it. The fact that we're dealing with uh, the highest level of government borrowing since the Second World War. I think it's got to the point now where you see these things so often that you almost become numb to them. And I think uh, as as Rishi Sunak was talking today, I kind of at, at one point I just sat back and thought, wow, these are huge numbers and yeah. huge challenges that Rishi Sunak's facing in relation to this. And the government's facing enough, of course, or the, or the country's facing as well. Um, and in the face of all those huge challenges, uh, we, we didn't see a huge amount in terms of how some of the pain that we're all going to feel as a result of this. Um, I suspect in a way that was kind of expected. So the government's only just moving out of the emergency phase of dealing with coronavirus in terms of um, making sure there's few people as possible uh, are hospitalised as a result of as a result of the pandemic. We've <laughs> now got a vaccine and case numbers are coming down. And so we're now just edging to the point where the Chancellor can start to think about what happens 
Next, um, obviously very nervous about doing anything that could choke off their very much hoped for recovery um, in 2021, 2022 yeah. and beyond. And so, I thought that while he, he kind of touched at the edges with some policies around um, corporation tax and uh, the personal allowance, and I'm sure we'll get onto those in, in, in more detail, I think we're going to have to sit and wait to see some of the some of the other measures that are going to come down the track because it's inevitable, I think, as we move into... And it's weird to talk about the budget next year when we've literally <laughs> just heard the budget this year, but there will be, I think, more pain to come. And I think it's a question of how strong the economic recovery is this year and the impact that has on tax receipts as to the extent to which the Chancellor needs to do more stuff that perhaps we as taxpayers won't like. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you, you said already that we already knew a lot of the announcements, I think, ahead mm. of time. There wasn't a huge amount that I was surprised by, but what were yeah. some of the biggest you know, surprises or policies you, you weren't hugely convinced were going to happen? Were, were there any? Um, I think some of some of the surprises were the things that weren't announced. Um, mm. So I did expect the lifetime ISA early withdrawal charge to remain at twenty percent for um, for for the next tax year. So for twenty twenty one twenty two. So the government, of course, reduced the the early withdrawal charge for where where you access your money if you're if you're not over the age of sixty. If it's not for a first home worth four hundred fifty grand or less, or if you're terminally ill, that was reduced to twenty from twenty five. 20% in, I think it was June or July last year. Um, the rationale for that was quite obvious. So we were in the middle of a pandemic and lots of people were facing very severe income uncertainty. And so the government wanted to make it easier for them to access their own money where they needed to. So by moving to a 20% early withdrawal charge, essentially the aim is just to get give, give the government back its bonus without an extra penalty on top of it. Whereas well, if you do the maths, then a 25% penalty means it's effectively a 6.25% extra penalty on top of giving the government back uh, mm -hmm. its, its upfront bonus. Um, so I think most people expected them to do that, given that a lot of the income uncertainty is going to remain in place for yeah. the next tax year, but they haven't done that. They haven't announced anything on that. So that's, I would say, is a bit of a a bit of a disappointment. Uh, maybe a few people expect to see something on the triple lock as well. Um, mm -hmm. Didn't get any anything around the triple lock as well. Um, could be a couple of reasons why that might be the case. Um, firstly, the the hitting hitting older people is never politically particularly palatable because they tend to vote for you. Um, and secondly, this is kind of this is quite grim, but the the amount that the government spends on the state pension is forecast to drop quite substantially as a result of coronavirus. So coronavirus yeah. is obviously older people a lot more than younger people and so they're estimating that about 100,000 more people over the over the state pension age will uh, will have died as a result of the pandemic and so they don't have to pay state pensions to them and so it may be the case that they've they've looked at those two things and said that the, the triple lock remains a, a sustainable yeah. policy going forward. That is pretty grim, actually. But yeah, yeah <laughs> hadn't, <sorry>. thought <laughs> hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that's pretty grim. But but yeah, very, yeah. very true. Um, another one sticking on the theme of, of pensions, um, the mm. lifetime allowance, which you mentioned earlier. Mm. Um, I know that's probably right up your street. Um, so, I mean, what is your... Oh, God, how, how sad is that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, you are... 
<laughs> Unfortunately, you're right. The lifetime allowance is right on my street. Um, yeah, it's 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 it's, a, it's an interesting one. So as you, as you said, it had been floated a, a, a while before um, the budget. I think it was in I think it was in the Times. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna get to keep uh, the lifetime allowance at the catchy level of one million and seventy three thousand pounds and one hundred pounds seventy three thousand one hundred pounds. I can barely even say it. Um, slightly ridiculous level. <laughs> well, it's going to be easier to remember because it's going to stay at that level until 2025-26. So this is that concept of, of fiscal drag, of course, that, mm -hmm. that I mentioned. So, it's, it, it, so it, was, it was reduced to a million um, a few years back, I think in 2016. I have to get my, get my calendar out. But um, it's obviously increased in line with CPI inflation. Um, one of those things that I think to the wider public and um, clearly most people aren't that engaged with a lifetime allowance but anything over a million pounds sounds like a huge unattainable sum of money yeah. and so keeping the lifetime allowance at just over a million pounds for for five years probably sounds like the kind of thing that's not going to hit too many people and um, the government expects it to raise about a billion pounds over that period of time which you know it's a decent chunk of change but in 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 the term in terms of government spending isn't isn't that much um i think one of the things that sometimes get, gets missed off in the, in when you when you're talking about a one million pound lifetime allowance and of course the one of the problems here is that successive governments keep on chopping away at the lifetime allowance and i think that affects yeah. confidence in pensions more broadly and we can come on to that but uh in terms of what one million pounds will buy you if you if you assume somebody takes their full 25% tax-free cash entitlement, which most people do. Um, if you look in the annuity market, a, a healthy 65-year-old who buys an annuity, single-life annuity, increasing in line with 2% inflation, will be will be looking at an income of somewhere between 27 and 28,000 pounds. Now, obviously, you've got a quarter million tax-free cash alongside that, which most people will take. But to me, it seems like quite a low bar to be setting in terms of people's retirement saving aspirations 27 to 28 grand is somewhere around the the average salary for a for a working person yeah. and, and it seems to me i mean and, and one of the things with this as well of course is that it was pitched certainly in the in the national press initially as something that was hitting pensioners um in reality of course it's something that's more likely to hit younger savers lots of most pensioners will have either um, already accessed their pensions they may have already crystallized their fund or they may have benefited from one of the other protections that were in place when the lifetime allowance was higher mm. than one million pounds back in the day whereas younger people who are building up funds at the moment won't be able to benefit from those protections yeah. and so will be more likely to to breach this limit so something i mean not unexpected um quite disappointing and as, as i touched on i think as a, a broader point i think we we could do with as we move out of this uh this initial kind of disaster phase of the response to the pandemic we could do with the chancellor and the treasury giving us a, a clearer idea of what they want pensions tax relief to look like and what they want the allowances to look like because yeah. the constant changing of um, the lifetime allowance in particular but we've seen it with the annual allowance we've seen it with the introduction of the money purchase annual allowance and the tapered mm -hmm. annual allowance we now have a, uh, we now have sorry a bin's just falling over <laughs> in my room um, we can cut that out if you like um, i'm not sure that's <laughs> And anyway, um, we've now got this mess of allowances that are constantly changing. And what, firstly, you're going to have lots more people being pulled into the lifetime allowances at a lower level. And by the way, yeah. a lot of those people 
people who will be hit will be the very doctors who work in the NHS who've helped get us Absolutely. through this crisis so so well I think we'll see probably some 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 complaints from the British Medical Association amongst others um mm -hmm. and so uh, and and then we've got this thing of this complexity and this constant change and I think if you keep on changing these things even if it's not going to directly affect everyone all people are reading about is the fact that another pension allowance has changed, another bit yeah. of complexity is being added. And all of this stuff works into a story that I think will put people off saving for, for retirement over the long term. Yeah, you, you touched earlier on that you think the, the, these kind of policies and changing them affects confidence mm. in, in pensions. Why do you think that, why do you think that affects confidence? I, th well, I think it affects the, it, because people like to know that, so if you, I think with a, with a pension, you're, the incentives are really strong, but you are asking people to make quite a big commitment. So you're asking yeah. them, someone in their in their twenties, for example, is going to be locking up their pension for you know 30, 35 years before they can access that money. So you get the upfront tax relief, but you're still talking about three decades plus of not being able to touch your money. And mm -hmm. when the rules are constantly changed and the goalposts are constantly shifted, and I, like I say, I appreciate that the vast majority of people won't hit a £1 million lifetime allowance or 1.0731 million lifetime allowance over, <laughs> over their lifetimes. They will read stories about the rules having to change. And one of the problems with that is that People, people like me and, and pension companies generally need to explain all of those rules to everyone. So you don't. So as a result, the communications that providers have to send out, and um, you know the way that this stuff is communicated in the media as well, you need to explain to people all these different caveats for how they can save their money. So if you're trying to explain to somebody why saving in a pension is a good idea and what and what the limits are, you have to explain to them that there's a forty thousand pounds general annual allowance, except for it's also your personal contributions are limited to a hundred percent of your UK relevant earnings. Um, if you've accessed flexible income from your pension, then you've got a lower annual allowance. That's the money purchase annual allowance. That's £4,000. Um, you've got carry forward as well, but you lose that if you trigger the money purchase annual allowance. You've got the tapered annual allowance, but you're not going to know if you're going to be affected by the tapered annual allowance because you won't know what your earnings are over the course of the year. And there's two different earnings limits. And the, the, it's it, it, a lot of these things, things like the taper and things like the lifetime allowance will only affect a small number of people. But the problem mm -hmm. is that you have to explain them to everybody. Yeah. And when you have to explain them to everybody, understandably, they switch off because it's a nightmare yeah. and it's a mess. <laughs> and, and I think this, that's the key argument behind simplification and behind stopping this constant change. It's not necessarily that people are directly affected by it, although, of course, they will be and more people will be because this lifetime allowance freeze is going to stay in place for a number of years and more people will be dragged in. But it's the, it's the fact that, once again, we're going to have, we've got a different policy around the lifetime yeah. allowance. We've got a different level of lifetime allowance. And you've got, if, you're, if you sit there, I mean, I'm staring now at a, a table of the different lifetime allowances since 2010, 2011. And it's ridiculous. There's no there's no strategy there whatsoever. It was 1.8 million, then 1.5, then 1.25, then 1 million, then 1.03, then 1.055, and now 1.073100. And it's going to stay at that level for the next few years. And uh, sorry, I've got into a bit of a rant there. I didn't think I would about the lifetime. There's no there's no there's no. I knew it was no, up the street. <laughs> there's just no sense of strategic direction on this. And like I say, I appreciate that we're in the middle of a pandemic. Money needs to be raised from somewhere, but also the UK savings levels in the UK remain too low. And I think the, 
the, the what's happened to the lifetime allowance over the over you know the past decade or so, like I say, won't affect everyone, but is I think symbolises muddled thinking in UK pensions policy. It's just something that's there that gets chopped and changed every other year without any particular thought as to where it sits and what its purpose is and how it, how changing it might affect people's willingness to save for retirement. And I'll I'll stop there. Yeah, well, I, I don't want to drag, drag this out, but um, <laughs> you put forward a good argument for, you know, not not freezing it and not messing with it. And so why do you think the Chancellor did go with this policy? It's, I guess it's I guess it's easy um, for, right. for a Chancellor to, to do that. I guess, um, uh, as I touched on at the start, one million pounds sounds like a huge amount of money to lots of people and so um he, he he could say that it's at least fair and not going to affect the, the vast majority of people which you know in a way in a way all of all of that's fine um my the, my issue is with is in a way is with the fact that this has been tacked on to lots and lots of different tweaks to various pensions allowances that yeah. um have been announced usually in response, sometimes in response to nothing in particular, sometimes just to save save money. And there's a, there's a sense that whenever money is needed by the Treasury, they'll just mess about with another pensions allowance and not pay any real thought to what the plan is for how for encouraging more people to save for retirement in the long term. And maybe maybe that in itself is a is a symptom of the fact that you know, frankly, getting more people to save for retirement is another government's problem. That's going to be yeah. a problem for, you know, Rishi Sunak's successor in maybe 30 or 40 years time. And he doesn't need to worry about that. But right. if case, then that's, that's quite a depressing state of affairs. Yeah. You also mentioned uh, earlier that there was no mention of the money purchase annual allowance, which from memory, mm. you're not you're not a fan of at the best of times. Um, no, it's, it's, it is. Sorry, you're really, you're really, you're really triggering me here. Um, yeah, the, the, the over some, I really shouldn't be triggered by by, by personal finance numbers, but there you go. Um, it's, it, it's, it, so we talked about the lifetime ISA earlier, um, and it's it's kind of it's, so it's in the, it's in the same ballpark in that you're going to have lots and lots. So in twenty um, twenty twenty, about nine billion pounds, just over nine billion pounds, was flexibly withdrawn by people uh, from their pensions. So I'll talk about taxable withdrawals there. And um, for those people who, for whom it's the first withdrawal and the, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people for whom it will have been the first withdrawal, the, the MPAA is, has always felt to me to be a, an, overly, a, an overly strict penalty for doing you know, essentially what government policy has encouraged people to do, i.e. use their pension freedoms to flexibly access their, their their own their own money so reducing the, the annual allowance from forty thousand pounds to four thousand pounds just by taking one pound of taxable income from your pension seems to me to be yeah. a way over the top response to concerns around pensions recycling which there was no evidence for when the when the re reduction from ten thousand pounds in the MPA to four thousand pounds was was introduced I think by Philip Hammond a couple of a couple of years ago so <laughs> Given given the, the government had been willing to move on the lifetime ISA during the pandemic, it, it seemed to me a natural next step to move on the money purchase annual allowance. So if you, you'll have lots of lots of people who've accessed their pension as a result of um, facing income pressure during um, during the pandemic, and that might have been to to 
to plug an in income gap for themselves. It might have been to help out a relative, either younger or, or older during the pandemic. Um, and it seems, seems to me that if you've got, if you've had to do that, then to cap the ability, your ability to to rebuild your pot at four thousand pounds a year after doing that seems very, very harsh indeed. And I think even outside of the pandemic, it seems to me to be an over the top punishment, and it and it kind of ignore, it ignores the way that people tend to behave now as well. We, I mean, you know, all sorts of research and studies and most of the facts that we know now suggest that you know, moving into retirement is less a point in time. You know, the, the days for most people are gone when they get to 65 and get a carriage clock or whatever from their employer and retire on a DB pension. Those days are over. You've got people now who are retiring with a defined contribution pension. Most of them will. Some, lots of people will obviously have a, a, a split between DC and DB of the people who are coming down the track. But lots of people won't have built up huge pension pots at that point in time. So we'll want to start drawing, a, drawing an income, but carry on working and continue saving at the same time. Lots of people do these things in a much more flexible way. And the MPAA, as well as creating, again, more complexity in terms of things that have to be explained to people, um, it also really disincentivizes people from continuing to save and work flexibly into retirement, which I think is a good thing and is the, the kind of thing that, that pensions policy should be should be encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I'm triggering you, so I'm going <laughs> to move away from that. I obviously have some stuff to get off my chest that I wasn't aware of. So, <laughs> Well, I'm glad this has been a good outlet for you. So, sticking on the theme of pensions, but moving away from allowances, um, buried mm. in the budget documents, uh, we found that the government is looking to relax the rules around what pension schemes can invest in, uh, for yes. example, allowing them to include uh, less liquid investment strategies. So, I mean, what, what do you think of that? Do you think that's a good thing for pension savers or not a good it's, thing? It, it, yeah, it's interesting. We'll, we'll have to... So, I think this is one that the DWP is going to consult on, isn't it? So, mm -hmm. we'll wait... Well, I think we'll have to wait to see the the detail of what it is they, they actually want to do um i i, I would say instinctively uh, i'm nervous about the idea of uh given that we're talking about uh, so the government's talking about um allowing more things to be invested in within the auto enrollment charge cap of 0.75 percent so the assumption there is that we're going to be talking about investing um, people's default funds in illiquid or slightly, you know, different kinds of of assets. Um, and these are these are people who've been nudged into a, a pension scheme. Um, most of them, yeah, a lot of people won't have know won't know that's happened. Certainly, uh, won't have engaged in in the process. So. I, I, I mean, you, 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 like I say, we'll have to wait to see the detail, but we, it clearly needs to be the case that schemes are investing with their members in mind and with those members who, ha who aren't engaged, who haven't done anything in mind as well. And you would be concerned if this led to a, a drift in investment strategies where, um, where schemes were paying over the odds for in fund management fees um, to, yeah. to access liquid assets that may deliver returns, but of, of course, may not as well so i hate to use this phrase that the, dev the devil will be in the detail but I i'm <laughs> instinctively slightly nervous about the idea of, of schemes expanding their their focus in that way when we're talking about people who, are, who have been a pension scheme yes um yeah very interesting 
So I'm, I'm going to leave it, leave pensions there, I think, um, because there are a lot of policies to get through. So moving okay. on to my home buyers, which is actually me at uh, this point. I've been attempting to buy a house for about six months. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. How's, how's that going? Uh, well, I th- we thought we were almost there. And then um, I don't know what the coincidence is here, but when the stamp duty extension was sort of floated the day after, mm. it seemed like suddenly everyone had taken their foot off the gas. So, mm. um, yeah, at a bit of a hold up again. So, but removing my bias because, it, you know, it's not been great for me. But uh, what do you think about them extending the stamp duty holiday? Well, so I'll, 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 have to, I'll have to declare my own bias. So we, we, we have we've ju- we just exchanged uh, on a, on a new a new flat just just around oh, the corner. Congratulations! From um, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> the, the, yeah, but I mean, we, we were already going to do it. I think regardless of uh, what happened to stamp duty, but obviously stamp duty um, made it made a bit of a bit of a difference in terms of the the process and things like that. Um, oh, it's, it's, I find the so obviously pensions is mainly my bad, but I, I find <laughs> the the UK property market intriguing and slightly confusing um, and, and going through the process of, uh, of buying a house didn't didn't change any of that um, so at, at some point presumably we're going to have to move to a world where the property market kind of lives on its own and stands on its own two feet and yet yeah. I, I i almost can't remember a time where there wasn't either a scheme designed to um, encourage more people to buy houses so the stamp duty threshold for cut for example which has i think increased house prices by eight and a half percent in 2020 yeah. or a mortgage guarantee scheme which obviously was announced today as part of the budget which is designed to help people onto the housing ladder and the, one of the reasons people can't get on the housing ladder is because the government's pumped up house prices by yeah. <laughs> stamp duty cuts <laughs> It's, it's kind of like round and round and round we go. And uh-huh. I may, I may, I'm not quite sure whether we're just going to continue going round and round in perpetuity, and then maybe we will, mm-hmm. um, and that would be interesting, or if at some point or another we'll actually have a proper idea of what the value of property is and what people are can afford to buy because some of these these the mortgage guarantee schemes will be pulled away and, and stamp duty will be returned to its to its normal level um yeah. you know this is it's it's a popular policy it's helped stamp duty it's obviously helped a lot of people move i'd, I'd argue it hasn't helped first time buyers one jot i'd argue it's done exactly the opposite which is why the mortgage guarantee scheme was um was needed but you know clearly lots of people moving uh, moving house helps various parts of the economy as well, which is something they'll be thinking about. And it's, I can tell you firsthand that it certainly helps solicitors, helps solicitors a lot. Um, and they don't have to be competent in order for it to help them. I won't, re- I won't reveal who my solicitors are because I don't think many people would go to them after the experience I've had. But then I've spoken to, spoken to lots, of other, lots of other people and it seems like their experience with solicitors and dealing with property, property purchases is, is quite similarly bad as well. So... Yeah, I can agree with that from, from my experience. <laughs> probably, 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 need to, probably need to talk about this away from a podcast where we can use the language that it would uh, would be would be suitable for for what what, yeah. what I've experienced. Um, yeah, same. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, as you said, the stamp duty holiday. I actually I actually put my offer on just before the stamp duty holiday was announced, so I don't oh. think it affected the price of my property. So I've I've been yeah. okay there, but it has. Yeah 
it now being extended, I think, has definitely slowed down my house purchase, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but never mind. So what I'm, yeah, I was thinking there about, you know, we heard a lot of talk that this would create a cliff edge at the end of March. Um, and house price purchases would fall through, something the government's trying to avoid by extending mm. it. Um, but why do you think we're assuming that the same thing won't happen again at the end of June? Do you think that that's possible? <laughs> that's a good point. Um, I guess you can't. You can't. So who, who knows? Um, we can, I guess, you, you know, Rishi, Rishi Zunak um, spent, spent quite a, a large amount of his um, budget today explaining that uh, he, he's a very honest man. Um, I'm not he sure did. if he was contrasting himself with the man who was sat to his right during the during the speech uh, possibly possibly not it's like a lot of people think he's pushing for a kind of this is a bit of a an early leadership bid that's going on here um mm-hmm. I, I would give it i think joking aside given given that they've they've set out this very clear timetable um so moving uh so 500k is the point that stamp duty kicks things down until 30th june and 30th of june and tapering down to 250k until the end of september then back to the old world where stamp duty kicks in 125k from the first of october we don't have any major fiscal announcements coming between now and then um, obviously those are these are almost markers in time where it's kind of like this is when life will return to normal and th- this is when the treasury and the chancellor and the government um, expects the world to turn, return to normal and so we taper through june to october when it's mm-hmm. kind of like okay everybody's had all the support they need we expect the world to be back to something resembling how it was and so we'll go back to, to having stamp duty as it was pre-pandemic. So I guess if we um, if things don't go as well as a lot of the signs are telling us they're going at the moment, then that might result in this changing as it, and it might result in a lot yeah. of these things changing as well. So there's you know the furlough oh. scheme and, and all the rest of it are supposed to be being tapered away as in the back end of this year. I think if we if there was another spike or there was another problem with a, a, mut- a mutation of coronavirus and all these very depressing things, if um, <laughs> if any of these things happen, then I think it's possible that stamp duty or, or the furlough or, or other things might might change as a result. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think about what else was really big. Um, freezing the threshold for income tax um yeah i think uh, the it was twelve thousand five hundred and seventy from memory for the um good memory the rate. yeah and i think the higher rate was fifty thousand and something similar <laughs> um and that they're going to be frozen until 2026 so the government has managed to avoid raising taxes you know something it pledged not to do in its manifesto uh, but it's doing that by freezing these thresholds um, yeah. so i mean what what do you think about this as a po- as a policy? You know, we've seen it in the lifetime allowance with the freezing. Yeah. But what do you think about it in this sense? Yeah, fiscal drag—the year of the word of exactly. the word or two words of twenty twenty one potentially. <laughs> um, who knows? Maybe maybe it will be in the running. Um, unsurpri- unsurprising, obviously. Again, you, as you mentioned, it's been trailed um, ahead of the ahead of the announcement today. Yeah. Um, again, as I said, Richie Singer was very clear keen to say that this 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 wasn't a stealth move because he was telling us about it um yeah. which i guess is fair enough if you tell somebody you're doing something then can you accuse them of being of stealthy um maybe you can't maybe maybe you can maybe you can't um but you know it's gonna have a real impact on people over um over over a long over that long period of time i think i, I was i was i was surprised it was being done over the entire um time of this this parliament that's going to make a significant impact um, on people i think the government were talked about just over a million people being dragged into paying income tax as a result just over a million more paying uh, at the higher rate um but mm-hmm. it, it raised about eight billion pounds by 2026 
I, I think it's probably the sort of the the sim the easiest way for him to raise that kind of money without it being really really unpopular. And I think even yeah. if with, with with freezing of allowances, even if you tell people you're doing it, to my mind, it is still a stealth cut because I think psychologically it's a very different process that people go through. If Absolutely. if people if if you're told. You know, say inc the income tax, the amount of income tax you pay is going to increase from 20% to 22%, then you can see that immediately and that, and that makes a difference. Whereas yep. this obviously only affects you if your wages go up and, and even then you might, you might find that your, your take home pay, which is the, the thing that most people really look at, um, if your take home pay is, you know, just slightly higher than it would have been, um, but a bit more goes to the tax man, then most people that probably won't have a huge effect on their behaviour. And I think that's that's going to obviously one of the key things here is that they, they don't want to choke off any kind of uh, any kind of economic recovery. And so they want to raise money without making people feel like they're paying more taxes. So yeah. I think in that context, this is probably the, the easiest way to do it. Yeah, I was I was saying that no one had um, they hadn't raised any taxes, but they did actually raise corporation tax to twenty five percent for firms. Big mm. big rate, big hike there. Uh, was that was that something you were expecting? No, no. Um, yeah. So well, I was expecting. I, 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 you never quite. So I, when 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 kites are flown before a budget, there's, it's usually usually it's either because they want to prepare us for something that they're going to announce or the Treasury want to make us think they're going to announce something and then not do it and then kind of paint it as a win because they haven't announced a thing that everyone assumed they were going to answer, announce. And yeah. I, I thought this might have been in, in, in that category, um, or if not, I thought the, the increase in corporation tax might have been slower. So I think that was what had been briefly, like this idea of kind of maybe increasing to 20%, 21, 22 over the coming mm -hmm. years. But, but no, we've kind of got this immediate, so a couple of years of nothing, and then in 2023, so they're hoping that once the, the economy's recovered in April 2023, then they'll be able to increase corporation tax to 25%. So, I mean, by international standards, it's it's not massively high, but equally compared to 19%, it is really high. Um, yeah. I think I think it'd been quite clever in terms of, um, first of all, the framing of it. So, you talk, I think one of the things that sometimes is forgotten about a corporation tax is that this is just on on profits. So, he was careful to to frame something that was um, something that was being that was only going to hit companies that are by their very nature profitable um, and, and by having this protection in place for small businesses as well so who will be able to continue to to stay at the 19 percent rate I think it's quite a, quite a cute political move to say that this is only going to hit the the biggest businesses and the most profitable businesses and the smaller businesses will be able to to kind of survive their way through it without without being hit by the increase and I guess if you couple that with the um, the, what is it? What is it? They called it the super deduction for investment in yeah. machinery. The one hundred thirty percent super deduction. Um, I think I, 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 I thought that was quite a quite a savvy savvy piece of savvy piece of politics there. And I think it leaves it leaves it quite. I mean, I, I didn't I didn't get time to catch um, Keir Starmer's reply, but it I think it, it, it potentially boxes Labour into a bit of a corner there. I'll be interested to see how they how they try to to act as an opposition and obviously something that yeah. they've been criticised for not doing. Um, Labour's reply wasn't a huge, I wouldn't say it was positive. It didn't, seem, didn't sound particularly positive to start with, but um, yeah, I know what you mean. 
um, without getting too political, you know, we've <laughs> left it in. I think we left that on quite a positive note. So I think um, I won't grill you anymore, uh, Tom. <laughs> so thank you so much for, for talking to me and doing your second podcast of the day. Thank you for everyone for listening. Um, this has been Tom Selby from AJ Bell. And I've been Laura Perkis from Neiman Advisor. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, and we'll see you next time.